Hello, listeners. I want to share an amazing resource with you. It's called Hello Divorce. Founded by a lawyer and certified family law specialist, Hello Divorce can help you no matter where you are in your divorce process. So whether you're just getting started or if you're near the end but have stalled out and need help to get over the finish line, Hello Divorce can help. They provide full-service divorce support, and they can handle divorces of all kinds, all net worths, and with or without children. It's completely online, convenient, and they offer you support all the way through. Their clients get divorced in one-third the time and at one-tenth the typical cost. So go to hellodivorce.com backslash beyond and receive $100 off the cost of their services. And I want you to know, Erin Levine, who's my friend and the CEO and founder of Hello Divorce, was a guest on episode 197 entitled, Get the FYI on DIY Divorce. So be sure to go check it out. We'll link in the show notes. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Be willing to adjust their expectations to help the child. The child can be helped tremendously. And the parties who are able to do that, in my experience, settle their cases faster for a lot less money and time and negative energies than those who are fighting on and on about trying to simply prove who's right and who's wrong based upon what happened in an otherwise failed marriage. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I am joined by not one, but two very special guests. It is not very often that I get a couple joining me on the show. I have a husband and wife, but which makes them interesting. But what makes them very interesting is they have a truly unique perspective on divorce based upon their decades in the field, working in a variety of different ways with people and with families and with children um, as they go through divorce. So I am joined by Lawrence and Joni Jones. Larry is a recently uh, retired, he's a former New Jersey Superior Court family judge, and Joni is a registered nurse who's also certified in mental health nursing, and together they both are um, active mediators working with families going through uh, divorce and uh, people going through other issues. And a few years ago, as a passion project, they created a wonderful video that's really intended for parents as a guide to sort of help them to help their children going through divorce. So I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity for us to sit down with them with their very unique perspective 
on the impact of divorce on children and get some tips from them on how you can support your children and how you can avoid unintentionally causing any harm to your children. Because I think that's something that happens that we see as professionals, even amongst the most and best intentioned parents, that what you don't know can harm your kids or can hurt your kids. And you don't want that. So we're going to take this opportunity to really dive behind sort of the scenes of what they've known and seen through these years and get some tips from Larry and Joni. So first, let me thank you both for taking time out of your, I know, very busy schedules to join us here today. Thank you, Susan, for inviting us to attend. And we're really, really happy to be here today. Yes, thank you. Well, and, you know, I'd love to just jump in with this because there's so much that we could talk about. And we have a rather short period of time together. And we will talk. I want to talk about the video because I think there's a lot more information I said to you before we started taping here. I think the video in less than five minutes probably can get more information across for parents than we can in our half hour talking here. But I also think there's a lot of nuance that the two of you can bring to this conversation because you are two professionals. Larry, you sat on the bench for a couple of decades hearing day in and day out what happens between parents and how that trickles down to their kids. And I know, you know, one of the big things that that you you talk about is how, you know, really acceptance can be a start of the whole process for parents, but it's so hard for them. And I'm wondering if you can explain to listeners what you mean by that. Sure. Most family courts uh, have to concentrate and require to concentrate on the best interest of the child. That's the term you hear all the time, best interest of the child. And and very often you hear one parent or the other parent, sometimes both parents on completely opposite sides saying they're advocating for the best interest of the child. But objectively speaking, their conduct, their actions, sometimes even their attorney's actions, um, do not really match up with the concept of the best interest of the child. And it's sometimes very important to take a step back or a couple of steps back and take a look at how your litigation is going, if it's already in progress, and see, is this really focusing on the best interest of the child. I had an opportunity to interview a multitude of children, uh, teenagers, pre-teenagers, et cetera, who were going through divorce while on the bench, uh, making decisions on cases, and the parents were not in the room. And over and over and over again, what the children would say would be something completely different from what either parent was saying in terms of what they felt was in their best interest. So it's important to try to stay focused on that. Yeah, and I just wanted to add that we have to look at the fact that there was an intact family and now there's a family of separation and they might've had some type of normalcy in that intact family and they felt secure. And now all of a sudden they don't know what to expect. And that leads to a lot of insecurities, which is fear. Their routines are interrupted. They may have even felt protected But now there's all this commotion, and this also leads to confusion, anxiety. And oftentimes we may see people like blaming themselves, especially in in, in children, and this impacts their self-esteem that can lead to a lot of other things. Yeah, I mean, and and that's a perfect example, right, of how this trickles down into the children. But I don't know that parents, you know, Larry, you just described it, parents, parents very much 
want to keep their children's best interests at the forefront. And they think they are. And so when you say, Larry, they're in court or their their attorneys are saying that, you know, they're advocating for what's in the children's best interest. I believe most of the time parents truly believe what they're saying, but often they forget that generally, I would say, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but having both parents in their lives in a meaningful way is best for children. Yes, yes. In, in general, yes. There are some cases where that just really can't happen. But in the majority of cases, yes, it just takes a little bit of compromise and acceptance from both sides. You know, it's funny. You're, uh, you have a great podcast and it's called Divorce and Beyond. In my experience, litigants think about divorce and they're not really concentrating on the beyond. And the beyond is you have children who suffer for a long time after a very contentious, hostile litigious divorce. The parents may have packed up and moved on. They may have, the attorneys may have moved on. They put their files in some big box somewhere and have moved on maybe. But the children, it lingers. It lingers very often and it affects their their lives. And so when parents are able to think about the fact that it might be beneficial to have two parents who, even if they don't see eye to eye, even if they had a lot of you know, negativity during their marriage, which is why they're getting divorced, that they can still potentially step up to the plate and through cooperation and compromise, be willing to adjust their expectations to help the child. The child can be helped tremendously. And the parties who are able to do that, in my experience, settle their cases faster for a lot less money and time and negative energies than those who are fighting on and on about trying to simply prove who's right and who's wrong based upon what happened in an otherwise failed marriage that's that that has failed that is that is a, that is a fact and if you can move on from that or not move on from that or people are not willing to move on from that if they're looking for vengeance or retribution or some pat on the head from a court they may be doing their child a severe injustice when they take that particular approach and Susan oftentimes we see that there's uh, a parent that makes the child feel like they have to choose sides between parents. And just because parents are no longer getting along doesn't mean that a parent and the child doesn't get along. And when there's an interference in this, it can interrupt their sense of security. And they may actually go elsewhere for support and start developing unhealthy relationships for either relief or just the feeling of acceptance. But this doesn't support, you know, an amicable process. So I usually, you know, ask people to consider shifting their focus off of the emotional attachment to the person and focus on the process to get the end result, whether that be emotional relief or financial relief. Yeah, I like that that sort of um, tip there, Joni. And it, it reminds me of what um, Christina McGee, one of my parenting experts, always says: is when you're when you're talking to your children about the other parent or something that's going on with the other parent, focus on the problem, not the person. Focus on right. trying to work within the construct of what that that problem is, not the issues that you might have with the person. And I know, Joni, that goes to something that you've mentioned. And I know this is so hard for people. I know this is hard for people, right? Your ex, your ex-spouse has hurt you or done something crummy, but 
the negative talk to your kids about their other parent is something that we know, I think, as professionals is so common. But but what's the effect of that on the kids, Joni? Well, every child responds differently and nobody can really predict. And I kind of, um, you know, look at this as a, a balloon situation, because if you release a balloon and, you know, when these tensions and anxieties are rising, you know, we don't know what individual responses are going to be. But if you look at a balloon and you release it, where does it go? Do we know? Do we know when it's going to land, where it's going to land? Do we know if it's going to pop? And see, these are the things that we have to be really conscious of because every child responds differently. And this is probably, you know, a new situation for them. So predicting it, you know, on top of everything, we can't, you know, we can't do specifically. But there there are some things that very briefly, you know, we must remember, this is a very emotional time. The, the most important thing is that I ask people to practice mindfulness and mindfulness is just simply being aware of what's happening. And you, if you have to press that pause button just to like take that little breath. Um, but I talk about, um, strategies such as heartfelt forgiveness. And um, it's different than forgiveness. And a lot of people don't know the difference or effective listening and the tips on that, on what it can, you know, do to um, make a divorce less contentious. And that's on the website. We don't have time to get into it here, but I do have videos on the website. If you're listening, it's go to, and they can learn more about that. You know, Susan, there are a lot of, a lot of parents, when I was on the bench, a lot of parents were demanding demanding that I interview their child. Now, it's always up to a court, generally, in, in the judicial discretion, whether to interview a child. But I interviewed a lot of children, not because a parent was demanding it, because particularly if the child was older, I, I really wanted to hear from the child because they were the focus and focal point of the entire case, right? And 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 so <laughs> over and over and over again, uh, what the children's view was, and what they had to say in confidence outside the presence of either parent pushing them or influencing them, trying to influence them, was very different than what either parent felt the child was going to say. It was almost like a mind opener uh, for these parents. And very often after they heard what the children were going to say, because they, they didn't sit in on the interview, but I'd give them a summary, basically, and their attorney's a summary, and it would help settle the case. Because they were because they didn't know this or they didn't want to know what their child was actually saying. And over and over and over again, while children, each child was different. Uh, what was very commonly found by me was that, number one, they did not want to take sides between mom and dad, regardless of what they were telling either mom or dad in their kitchen or in their living room or in their garage. Something very different when they got to me. And. What they really wanted was to be left alone and for their parents to kind of get along with each other, not necessarily to reconcile, because sometimes that wasn't going to happen. Older children knew this, but they did not want to be a pawn in the middle of either parent's strategy on how to win a case. They resented it and resented both parents. So while the parents were thinking, perhaps very honestly, that they were doing something for the best interest of the child, the child was not looking at it that way. And that's something which the parents were not going to be able to suddenly evaporate or make the child forget. Sometimes these children, as adults, carry this for a long period of time. So you got to be very careful with what you think is the right thing to do for your child 
And what is the right thing to do, Todd, even if it requires some degree of mutual compromise for the best interest of the child? And, you know, um, when people start talking negatively about the other side, this can actually spark um, anger responses in children, and it might backfire on the person. And uh, it can also promote impulsivity, you know, and cause children to run away. But um, I worked on a uh, inpatient psychiatric unit and uh, a lot of people were there because they were either a product of divorce from children and it was still impacting them. And some people were going through a divorce and some of it was post-divorce. And this is when I get into, you know, the trauma responses. And, you know, there's a there's a whole um, section on the website that I talk about trauma responses. Uh, but also, I think people should keep in mind that this also leads to more of a contentious divorce. It reinforces even the negativity within themselves, causing their own stress and tension by reinforcing it in their thoughts. And um, when we have a contentious divorce, we have to also think about how the timeliness of it and that it can increase financial burdens. Sometimes teenagers in particular, sometimes when their parents are going through a very contentious divorce, they end up in the hospital. Yeah, They end up in the hospital. They threaten things. They do things because they feel neither side is really listening to them. They say they want the best interest of the child, but their actions are something very different. Yeah. And, you know, we have to remember that um, children are very observant and they may watch other intact families and they might even yearn for that again to have that and they may go from guilt to shame and some people don't know the difference between guilt and shame and guilt is um you know uh when they they feel like there's something wrong but shame is when they feel like they are something right. wrong so that makes all the difference in the world when larry was alluding to you know this shame can lead to very serious psychological responses right and and you know i think what we're i'm hearing here is really you know up at a high level parents and and you said this larry parents who really think they're doing the right thing by I'm going to use the word arguing for a certain position. Like it has to be this way because this is what's best for the kids without an open mind to that compromise or even perhaps, or thinking they understand what their kids want without truly understanding it. And this is where that unintentional harm can start to happen, which is something that the two of you have seen so much. And there's, we've talked about a variety of ways that it, that it can happen. Um, I think another you know, we've talked about not talking negatively about the other parent, um, both parents accepting that the other parent most likely in most cases, not every case, should be a part of the children's lives, um, not making the children choose a side in this, although that is how children feel very often. Stay tuned for more from former family court judge Larry Jones and mental health professional and RN Joni Jones as we explore the unintentional ways parents can cause issues for their children during divorce. Well, Susan, that olive branch becomes very important because sometimes a simple thing like, oh, it's my fault or, oh, I made a mistake. You're shocking the other person and now you're breaking you know, that escalation. 
If you are enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's special five-part series of mini-episodes where I busted the top five myths of divorce to help you celebrate your freedom from their inaccuracies and bad information. I cover everything from money to your kids, so be sure to tune in to all five. And now we return to today's show. I know another thing that parents can have a great deal of difficulty with, um, and I've, I've seen this over and over again in my own practice over the years, is I always called it the debrief. Um, the kids would go over to the other parent's house for their parenting time, and as soon as they got home, there would be the, so what'd you do? What happened? Right. Did did dad take you to McDonald's for every meal? Did th- Did mom take you back to the playground where you fell off the slide? What what would your thoughts be on on that debrief on how you know kids are going to share, but there's a difference. Well, I can tell you from my experience interviewing children that in general, children very met very very much dislike that they oppose that. Sometimes they hate that. They feel they're being used as a pawn. They most children, especially if they're older, they know their parents are going through a divorce. You know, divorce rate is what fifty percent in the country, so there's a pretty good chance that their children, that their friends, the kids they hang out with, half of them are also going through a divorce. And what do you think? They're exchanging horror stories. That's what's happening. Whose parent is more dysfunctional than the next? That happens, and I'm not just guessing at this because this is what children have told me over and over and over again. So you know, you got to ask yourself when you're when you're asking your child when they come home from a parenting uh, session. Uh, you know, and you're asking them all these questions. Why are you asking? Who are you asking it for? Are you asking it for the child? Are you asking it for you or for your lawyer? You know, and 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 you know, some lawyers are great, but some are very compartmentalized. They, they, your your case is one temporary moment in their lives, and they do what they have to do, but then they're going to move on, divorce and beyond. They're not there for the beyond. Right. right. They're not. They're there for the divorce. They got a job to do. Right. So everyone has a different focus. Almost like if you're if all your bones are broken in a car accident and you go to someone who specializes on arms, a surgeon, they're going to concentrate on your arms. But what about the rest of you? So the child, the child is a full person. Right. So you got to ask yourself, why, why are you really asking the child? Is this to get information? Are you interrogating your own child? If the child feels something terrible happened, maybe they'll tell you, maybe they won't. But. If they're just if they just went and they had a decent time and they came back, you know, and everything's okay, you know, why do you have to ask them those questions? Might it be better not only for the child's sake, but for your own sake to leave them alone? And if and when on their own terms, they want to disclose something to you, if they feel something happened that was, you know, negative, they can just they can share it with you. But otherwise, you're interrogating them. I mean, that's actually what you're doing. You're, you're, you're interrogating them like a, like a suspect in a police department. John. And as a reminder, you know, we want to mimic as much as an intact family as we possibly can. And would you do that in a natural environment? Would you be so inquisitive? But one of the things is uh, we want children to have positive responses and positive re- memories so that they can reflect on that. So all this negativity and anxiety and everything, we want to promote that positive thoughts and that's going to reduce the risk of trauma. I think that's a good point, Joni. And, and, and let me ask you a follow-up to that because 
One of the things I get often from listeners, I call it the yeah, buts. They listen to what my expert says or what I say, and they say, yeah, but. So what if you have a child who is struggling with a relationship with the other parent? What can the, the parent who's helping the child transition over to their other co-parents, right? You hear this all the time. I don't want to go over to moms. I don't want to go over to dads. What would... You, what would be helpful in helping that child make those transitions that that parent could participate in? Well, um, you know, first of all, I think it's important just to have natural conversations. So you can invite a conversation. And when a child is ready to talk, you say, hey, if there's anything you want to talk about, but not pressure them into it you know, extract what the issues are from that. And then if there's extra support that's needed through the process, like any type of uh, therapies or things of that nature, where they can talk to somebody neutral, they can feel like their voice is heard, you know, instead of having to watch what they say or what they don't say might be very helpful in those situations. You also find in a lot of cases that if, if, if you know, each parent says, each parent says, the other one doesn't like it at the other parent's house. You get these typewritten certifications from their lawyers, you know, and they're all saying this. It's all hearsay, obviously. And so, you know, and then the question becomes why? First of all, why do they not like it at the other's house? And secondly, is it even accurate? You know, sometimes children, they say what they need to say to be politically correct in their own household because they don't want to tick off mom or dad. I don't like it over there. Meanwhile, they maybe they do like it over there, or maybe they're okay with it being over there. Sometimes they have a problem, and sometimes the the the, the child does, but sometimes the the parent does with the other's new partner. You see this all the time, and so you know a lot of times when this comes up, there can be you know opportunities to talk about perhaps what's known as co-parenting counseling, where parents who are divorced they're already divorced, so it's not marriage counseling; it's the complete opposite of marriage counseling. Marriage counseling, you're trying to save a relationship. Co-parenting counseling, you're already divorced, you may have moved on, you may be remarried, you may have someone else in your life, but you still have to work together reasonably, reasonably for the best interest of the child. It all comes back to the best interest of the child. So a co-parenting counselor might be able to speak with both sides in confidence because the co-parenting counselor generally, unless there's an agreement to the contrary, would not be called as a witness. They could even talk to the step-parents or the significant others to make sure everyone's on the same page. Now, I used to see a lot of times the, one of the biggest problems was neither parent wanted to be told what to do by the other yes. parent. It didn't matter what they said. They could say the sun was up at 7 a.m. in the morning. No, it's not. No one wants to be, you know, they, they're divorced. They're separated. They don't want to be told what to do. That's human nature, right? But if they're hearing it from a from a professional co-parenting counselor in a more conciliatory way, they might be able to get on the same page, not only to for the child's sake, but for their own sake. To work together in a way that can save money and time from ongoing litigation, because if they don't resolve these problems, what happens? One or the other side gets upset. They file a motion. The other side files a cross motion. All these typewritten insults against each other and some big package that came in the mail. Everyone's ready to take, you know, uh, some, some some kind of pill to reduce the anxiety. And meanwhile, the child is still suffering because the parents are not participating in really an appropriate way. You know, the job description of a co-parent when you get divorced is. On, among other things, is to work with the other side to some degree if it's possible. You know, sometimes you can't, like if there's a restraining order or something like that. But if you don't have that type of situation, it's part of the requirement. You, know, you just don't have automatic rights because you're the biological parent. You have a responsibility 
to really work with the other side in some constructive fashion for the sake of the child. That's what joint legal custody is all about. So Joni, let me ask you, because I can hear the yeah buts again. And I love what you just said, Larry, but Joni, let me ask you. Yeah, but he or she won't work with me. They're unreasonable. They, I try to tell him or I try to tell her, which goes to what Larry just said. Nobody wants to be told. But how do you co-parent with someone or approach communicating with somebody who just won't listen to anything that you have to say, even if it's about your children? I know, big question. Well, first, <laughs> yeah, well, well, first of all, I think it's, it's really important to remember that we only have control of ourselves. We don't have control of other people. And it's very important to be very mindful and to learn certain strategies because the worst thing that you want to do is be fuel to the fire. And those are some of the things that I get into in uh, on the website when I talk about how to be an effective listener. Because let's face it, if you feel somebody's not listening, what happens? A lot of times they just get very loud. And it's not so much on um, what you're saying, but it's how you're saying it. So there's strategies all along, you know, learning those things, like I said, so that you're not, you know, uh, escalating the other person and making things worse. And if I can make a suggestion to your listeners out there, if you have a situation where, for example, you feel the other side simply will not listen or will not cooperate, first of all, it's possible, not a guarantee, but it's possible the other side feels the same exact way about you. That's number one. Number two, sometimes taking the lead and taking the initiative and, ta- and, and, and holding up the olive branch sometimes works. Sometimes, even if the person did, you know, negative things during the marriage. So, for example, if you or your attorney wrote a letter to the other side saying, look, we're having, we're having some issues with our child. The child would appreciate if we got along a little bit better. What I suggest, if you're willing to do it, you don't tell anybody what to do. You suggest it. You ask. You ask because then it gets into respect and ego and pride. What about if we went, for example, to a co-parenting counselor and try to work some of these things out? We split the cost 50-50 or perhaps differently if their finances are different. And we can speak with a neutral person about how we can all benefit from this, especially our child and moving forward. Now, if they say, no, they're not going to speak with you. Well, first of all, theoretically, you could, and in each jurisdiction is different, but you could make an application before the court asking the court to direct co-parenting counseling. One of the decisions I made in a case called Madison versus Davis, the reported decision was that uh, it recognized that the court could order co-parenting counseling, not for the sake of the parents, but for the sake of the child. But in my experience, more often than not, when one side suggests it, the other side tends to do it if it's asked in the right way. Now, if they're not going to do it, can an application be made to request that? Sure. Can an application be made for a million other things? Sure. But now you're perpetuating litigation. And litigation sometimes is it is in and of itself contrary to the best interest of a child in some circumstances. You got to be very careful about that. But if you take the initiative and not just sit there and, you know, you know, wish that your ex was a different person. Or that you, the judge, could change them. Yeah, or you could change I never, listen, I had a lot of cases I never changed anybody. Sometimes I ordered them to co-parenting counseling and it worked. Some, not every time, but sometimes it did. Uh, sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. And sometimes they were able to, when, when it was drawn to their attention, like when their child, when I revealed to them what the child told me in a 
in, in, in an interview, sometimes it made a difference, at least temporarily. So sometimes you need to change the dynamic a little bit. Otherwise, everyone's just feuding with each other. I mean, Susan, I've had people, when I was in practice, before I was a judge and I was a practicing attorney, I had people who said they were interested in the best interest of the child, right? And at the same time, they said they would ask questions like this. Can I get divorced? Uh, can we schedule his divorce on his birthday or her birthday? And I'd say, well, why? I'd ask why. Well, I want every year him remember what happened or she would remember what happened. I'm like, why do you care? If, if, it, if you're getting divorced and you're moving on with your life, what you're telling me is you're not moving right. on. You're sitting there and stewing in your own animosities and anger. And that's not going to be particularly helpful for your child. Or they want a divorce on their anniversary date or on Valentine's Day. I would actually get these requests. And so while they said they were acting in the best interest of the child, it was clear they were not in that circumstance. Well, Susan, that olive branch becomes very important because sometimes a simple thing like, oh, it's my fault or, oh, I made a mistake. You're shocking the other person and now you're breaking, you know, that escalation sure, and then it brings it down. Yeah. That's true. And then it brings yeah. it down. You shocked them right. into... Right. Whoa! Yes. Did you right. just say and something then, reasonable? And then they have, and then they have to, you know, and, and step up to the plate. Right. Right. Strategy. Yeah. Right. Well, it's not just strategy. It's a matter of long-term divorce and beyond. You're concentrating on the beyond. If you really want to have a healthy life, not you're not doing any favors for your ex, but for yourself. Isn't it logical that if you can tone down the hostility that may have existed for whatever reason, that it might be beneficial to you? as well as to your child, the answer in most cases, I would suggest is yes. But some people are not willing to do that. You know why, Susan? Because it's the yes, but. The but. You don't need the but. Get the but out of the language and say, yes, and now we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, at least you tried. But if you're sitting there and just complaining to all your friends and relatives about how terrible the person you married is horrible to you, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to be stuck in, in quicksand, basically. At that point, you're going to drag your child down with you, potentially. But Susan, it's what you talked about before. It's separating the emotional responses to the person and focusing uh -huh. on the process. Yes. Yep. And, it's, and I love that. And maybe our final tip is take the yes, but and turn it into yes, and. Um, because yeah. so that you can move forward toward, I always talk about the beyond. So I love that you, you caught on to the name of the podcast, but you know, we could talk about it, it, all of these, you know, tips of that the two of you have from your, your many, many years dealing with this. And, and I know my listeners would, would love, so, Hey, listeners, go ahead, write in some questions for Joni and Larry, and we'll do a follow-up episode if they're willing to come back on where you can ask them questions specific but uh, one thing I don't want to leave this episode without doing is talking about the video because this is a passion project that the two of you have created. Larry actually wrote the music, the, the script, and it's a short video. It's less than five minutes long and it's called Point C. Um, and it exists on the website, pointcdivorce.com. You can all go there. Joni has referenced a lot of the wonderful resources. So not only is the video on the website, but you can also get all of these other resources, both for professionals and parents. Um, but Larry, can you just tell us a little bit about why you created this video? Sure. I, when I was on the bench, I saw day after day, um, complete dysfunction, not in every case, but in cases that could have settled, you know, on the first day in some instances and didn't. And it wasn't because of the complexity of the issues. It was because of the personalities of the parties and each was blaming the other. 
And sometimes they were very right and they had reason to blame each other. But sometimes it was just it was becoming like a vicious cycle and everyone kind of forgot about the shot. So when I was on the bench, they had what's called judicial college where judges have to get together once a year for continuing education. And I was one of the speakers on the faculty of judicial college. And I created point C basically for that. And it got a very positive response. And then after I retired from the judiciary, a determination was made by Joni United trying to release that to the public so that it could potentially help other people. The response we've gotten back from mediators, from lawyers who have used it, is that it has been very helpful in highly contentious cases. Um, we're not getting into what the video is about. It is only five minutes and it has been very helpful. So we're hopeful that this will be helpful to other people as well, as well as to lawyers, people in uh, law school, professors, judges, uh, psychologists, anyone who's involved in the legal profession. And uh, so that's how it came about when I was on the bench, but hopefully it will continue to be helpful to people thereafter. Joni? Yeah. And one thing I'd like to add is that the video, although short, is very powerful and it impacts everybody differently. Sometimes it's a reflection of somebody else's own experience through it, but the message is so strong. You know, it's so strong on what not to do if you want to really have the best interest in your child. And it really, really came about in part from all of the years of me interviewing children and hearing from children, not hearing from the parents and the lawyers. I'd hear them from them too. But if this is about the children, you know, sometimes it's helpful to hear from the children. And over and over and over again, they did not want the fight and they did not want to choose and they wanted to be respected. And parents sometimes... Very often in cases, it's not the issue that's the problem. It's either side feeling they're not being respected by the other side. And so, so the other side may say, well, they don't deserve respect, you know, and, and so ego and pride goes into a lot of these, you know, when you're trying to settle a case, it becomes a very important issue. And uh, sometimes people recognize that and they realize they look at the beyond and they see where they want to be and where they, you know, where it's best for their child. Sometimes it changes the dynamic a little bit. And makes a case that would have been impossible to settle, sometimes possible to settle in certain instances. And if there's any example of actions speaking louder than words, it's point C. Such a good point. I love that. And I have to tell you both, you know this, we, we met really because of the video. And I have been a family law professional uh, working with parents going through divorce for more than 30 years. And I think that the conversation with clients or the, the concept for parents of everything that we've been talking about in this episode, how their actions can unintentionally cause harm to their children can be so difficult to understand and to hear even it's painful for parents. And I have to say this film, this video does that, gets that message across in less than five minutes and in a way, you know, that makes it easily understandable. I urge everybody who's listening to go and watch the film, both parents. It's not really meant for children. I do want to say that this is not, it, it's, it's sort of done in a cartoon form, but it's not intended for you to show it to your children. It's intended for you as the parents to watch. But I also want to mention to my colleagues who I know are listening as well. This is a practice tool. 
what, what, however you are working with families, whether you're a coach, whether you are a divorce attorney, whether you're a mediator, this is another tool you can have in your toolbox to help parents to understand just what the conflict does to their children. And sometimes I'm telling you this little fable can get the, you know, this little video can get that point across better than we just could in half an hour of talking about it, even with a retired judge and a mental health RN. But, you know, better than that, this little film will do it. So go to pointcdivorce.com. You'll find not only the video, but the, but also the additional supplemental videos that Joni has made, some more videos from Larry and other resources, both for parents and professionals. So I want to say thank you to you both. There are so many wonderful, I call them for my listeners, golden nuggets for them to take away. Um, and there's even more in your point C video. And, and you've really done something. You two, there, there's no monetary re recompense for this film, this video. Joni and Larry have created this out of their own pocket and are giving it out to the world um, as a free resource. And I just, I commend you both for it. I know where it comes from. I know it comes from your hearts and from your years of experience. So thank you so much. And thank you for coming to join me today. Thank you very much, Susan. You have a great podcast. And to everybody out there who may be going through a divorce, who knows someone is going through a divorce, uh, just remember, it's always to some degree within your own hands. And if something is not working out so well, whether you have an attorney or or, or, or an advocate or whatever, um, it's always it's always helpful to try to think of ways to deviate a little bit instead of waiting for the other side to do it in order to constructively bring something to a resolution that could be beneficial to all, including especially the child. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. Take care. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.